Welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. Welcome to this conversation with Anna Ruda Joshi. We recorded this conversation well before COVID, last September actually, when we were both attending a conference in Cyprus and where Anna Ruda had given a really great keynote. Anna Ruda is a lecturer at the Industrial Design Centre at IIT Bombay in India. In this conversation, he discusses his career path from engineering to working in design to coming back to university to teach and then later doing his PhD. He has great stories that point to a repeating pattern of the way he likes to learn, which is very much self-taught about throwing himself in, trying things out, then reflecting on it and working out what else he needs to do then to build on that learning. He also talks about doing HCI in the Indian context and developing capacity and building community there, as well as talking about the particular design challenges and sensitivities that make India unique. And there's much that we can learn from India. Anaruda reflects on a personal level as well about lessons he learned and insights he gained from a recent sabbatical about uh, trying to make a better impact on education, about building a better lab culture and trying to make healthy life choices. So there's lots here in this conversation. I'm really excited to bring someone from a different part of the world to many of our previous conversations. Hope you enjoy this. Anaruta, thank you very much for joining me. You just gave an amazing keynote at our conference this morning around emergent users and designing technology, and we might touch upon that in a tick. But uh, one of the things I was curious about was when you were introducing yourself, you talked about coming from IIT Bombay, and you just described yourself as being uh, in a design school surrounded by tech uh, engineers. Yeah, so that is what we are actually. So uh, IITs were set up mainly as uh, institutes of technology. Mm. And uh, And is design not normally regarded as part of that agenda? uh, Not by default. I mean, they are not the first things that get set up when a new IIT gets set up, for example. Uh, But uh, uh, I think now many of the IITs have started a design school and Mm. ours was the oldest. So uh, we actually, in fact, finished 50 years this year. So wow, yeah. So wow. so that was quite insightful of whoever set it up because I'm I'm sure it wasn't you. No, <laughs> you're, you're not I'm, seventy I'm or eighty. But, <laughs> I'm old, but not that old. <laughs> but so, what's your background? Is it in engineering or design? So both actually. So I actually my undergraduate was in electrical engineering, yeah. and then I uh, decided that I didn't really want to become an engineer. Uh, then I was looking for what else I could do, and I discovered design. Mm-hmm. And I, How did you discover? Uh, well, because I was on, in IIT Bombay as an undergraduate student, right. I sort of said, oh, these, these guys are doing something interesting, so let me go and see what they're doing. And then I said, okay, this is something that I would like to do. Uh, and then actually I started making films, and I, was, uh, I used to enjoy making educational videos and things like that. And as a as a researcher or I, as, more a, as a service? As a as service. A well, job. actually, as a master's. My master's was in yeah. visual communication. Yeah. So I was making films. Uh, so I'm sort of familiar with these setups. Oh, you should have helped me set it up. No, but I'm not <laughs> familiar with that particular okay. one. So anyway, so I started making films. Uh, and this was around 92, 93 when I joined the profession after my uh, master's. And then uh, that's around the time when this multimedia stuff was happening, these PCs and say, I so that seems like an interesting medium as well. And then I started reading stuff about it, and I more or less became self-taught uh, interaction designer. And then I decided to go back to teaching before I did my PhD. In fact, so I went and started mm. teaching uh, well before I started doing my PhD. And were you teaching interaction design then, having read the book the day before? Or sort of, uh, <laughs> not really. No. So I, I I was practicing till about 1998. Yeah. So. So about five or six years, I, I made interactive stuff. So I was in the very first dot-com boom, for example, in the industry doing stuff. And then, uh, in a sense, I was also ahead of the curve in the industry. I was doing things much before anybody else was trying. Mm-hmm. 
And then, like in a what? sense, I also so making websites yeah. and uh, multimedia content and so on. So not something really very different from what happens typically in the industry. Uh, but before, many other people got started doing those mm-hmm. things, and uh, so I enjoyed doing that for a while. And then I also sort of saturated fairly quickly. And I said, but there is so much cool stuff that happens in the academics in this area. At that time, academics was way ahead of. What the industry was really doing, at least in India, but I think also in the world, generally, uh, and so I thought uh, because that's when all the confluence was happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, psychology coming in, design, yes. uh, technology. So all of these things was just beginning to mix. I thought in the 90s, and uh, so I thought that I should go back to the academia and firstly learn about this, but also teach at the same time, and. Uh, and I, what I also realized was, uh, so design education has always been about self-discovery, predominantly about self-discovery. Mm-hmm. So you have to discover yourself. Mm-hmm. What do, yourself as in a deep and meaningful self, or yourself as in more your design sensibility? Yeah. So, so a lot of it is about developing your own design sensibilities, exploring basic design, trying out. Just trying out, you know. So one of the exercises that we do in design, for example, is draw horizontal lines from one end of the page to the other, fill the page, okay, and then you do that hundreds of times, and that discovers. And you're when you do that in the beginning, you are just scratchy, and then when you're done it a hundred pages, then really comes out. If you're not mad, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's about that a little bit, and so mm. so uh, there was a there was a Japanese professor uh, whose who story goes like this that. You know, he used to ask people, take a pencil and draw a line which is 10 centimeters long. Then now draw a line which is 10 centimeters long and one millimeter wide. Okay, so uh, either a pencil, pencil or in those days we used to use what is called as a rotating pen. I don't know if you've seen one of those. So yes, they are, yes. yeah, so now I don't think they're popular anymore with computers. But And then you have to just draw, just draw a line. So and And he used to demonstrate that. So... So if he can do it, everybody used to think, why can't I do it? And so then you do that again and again and again. And that kind of develops a certain kind of sensitivity to mm. shapes and form and mm. color and things like that. So a lot of design. And how to produce them. How to produce them. The, the skill. That, yeah. Because it must be a very fine skill. Yeah, it is a skill. Uh, but it is also it also brings your attention to the detail. Uh, and so a lot of it was about that. And it continues to be about that but then now that in more recent times and i would say last 20 years or so there is this whole uh, thoughtfulness of research so this actually comes from bauhaus actually if i go historically this self-discovery thing mm-hmm. and then there's a very s- famous second german design school if i may say Ulm, which brought in the intellectual angle of the design into thinking uh, and it brought in a lot of, so initially it brought in a lot of social angle and methods and so on. Uh, but I think uh, with what I what impressed me about HCI is that it also brought in uh, a lot of rigor and uh, a lot of quantitative thinking, but also ethnographic methods. So it's mm-hmm. like it has this broad, broad church, church yeah. thing. Yeah. So it, yeah. it brought all of that thinking suddenly. And I said, okay, this is now a much wider canvas yeah. for designers. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I that that's what actually got me into academics, and so try to focus. So on it that. was those sorts of aspects that got you excited yeah, about yeah. the possibilities. Yeah, yeah. And I'm fascinated how you know we're we're people of our time. You know, you happen to be of an age, and you know when these sort of technology innovations were happening and these possibilities were opening up, and somehow connecting to what you loved doing. Yeah. So. I mean, I, so till I joined academics, I was really, uh, you know, in the industry and the way it goes in the industry is you work for two years in a company and that's very long and then you move on in the next two years. So I joined academics with a window of about two years and here I am (laughs) after about 20. (laughs) So I'm stuck. And did you, did you do your PhD at IIT Bombay? Yeah. While I was uh, also a faculty member, I, I, I did my teaching. I'm at my PhD is from computer science, so it's completely different. Did uh, so, you have any trouble getting it, getting it accepted in computer science if you were doing something in more design? 
so I was actually my PhD is about integrating HCI with software engineering. So it was okay. more pure sciencey, yes. uh, and uh, so it was in design process actually. So I was looking at the design process, and uh, this is where actually my industry background also comes comes in. That many of the designers, practicing designers, struggle to integrate process in software development and uh, are always constantly sort of selling themselves as mm. designers and design being important and so mm. on. Uh, so I thought that uh, I should do something in this space and uh, I had certain ideas of my own which I had never really articulated. So the PhD gave me an opportunity to articulate that, to evaluate it and to sort of get into research a little more strongly. Mm. Yeah, so that was a very slow journey for me. But also uh, interesting in the sense that I never really uh, attended a course on any of this until much after my until much after I needed it. Right. So I, I think that's a very good way of learning things. Yes. Actually, now that you say that, um, I think I'm a little bit similar because where I did my PhD, we did not have, at that time, there was no HCI expertise or any sensitivity to design or the human side of, of things. And you nursing. You did nursing. I did nursing to begin with, okay. and then I did a computer science oh, degree okay, and then, okay. then PhD in computer science. And I was trying to do something that connected with people and design, and I had to start with the very first page of the first proceedings to try to get a sense of what was going on, so it was self-taught. And that's, that's you know, I hadn't thought about that before. But is, do you think that there are certain people who do better that way, being self-taught and following their own thing? And do we, you know, do we always need to be looking for the piece of paper that says you know, <laughs> someone certified in yeah, this so, expertise? You know, so if I, I completely agreed with you, then I would be out of job because what? I know. What do we do? So, uh, okay, so. On the one hand, it is true that, in fact, almost all the courses that I've ever taught I have taught, uh, I have taught interaction design, evaluation, user studies, research methods, so, and combinations of this in various mm. forms, uh, and almost learning, you know, design for learning and so on. Whatever I have learned, I have learned on my own while doing projects. And then I said, okay, maybe I should find out more about it so that I can yes. teach. Yes. And then I go and read up a little bit and then I try to link that to what I have experienced. And then and did it validate as well a lot of what you had experienced and learned on your own? In many ways. And yeah. it also challenged me in, uh, so when I, when I went back to reading, it challenged me in very unique ways. So uh, a lot of literature in design that I was familiar with actually came from the 60s and 70s. Actually, Ulm started this idea of writing about design. There's very little that is written about Bauhaus, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, or the people in Bauhaus, the faculty members in Bauhaus, never wrote much. Ulm started this tradition, and uh, we are actually, our founder, design school founder, comes from Ulm, actually, studied at Ulm. And that's why mm, there's that a big influence, influence of yeah. Ulm on our design thinking. Uh, but he himself is a very hardcore practicing designer. He's not a... A and person who goes and researches things, yes. but he, but you can see the depth in his work as a result of the intellectual background that comes mm. from uh, from this kind of work, and it's always impressive. And I think uh, so, at least in a practice-based profession like design, you need people of all flavors. You know, you yes. need ultimately you need people who can design stuff and make stuff, but you, should, you also need people who can articulate and sort of reflect and think about it. So you talked about educating, you know, people have to learn how to self-reflect and that. So there, there are the, there are the, the core skills like the drawing of the line mm -hmm. in the way, precise way that you want to, that you learn through practice and practice mm -hmm. and practice. Um, how do you teach your students those other skills that you just talked about? So actually there is a lot of skill, I believe, also in the kind of stuff that we do. So interviewing is a big skill, I think. And some people are really very good at it and some people are not. Uh, then looking at what you interviewed and converting that into actionable design is another big skill. I mean, again, some people are really very good at it 
and uh, it and both of these things can be learned uh, so but they take time and they take practice and they take feedback okay so uh, yeah so there are and i think sensitivity building up your sensitivities is also a very important skill uh, so there is this anecdote that i keep telling uh, so uh, growing up uh, in a developing country you see lots of problems around you at all times and then uh, the human way of dealing with that is you tend to shut yourself out of those problems mm. okay and you become otherwise you if particularly if you are a sensitive person then you actually mess yourself i mean you you just keep getting troubled because of that uh, so so a natural human response is to shut yourself out of that and but that is not going to that that is not going to help you solve problems as a designer so you need to be open to that without letting you mess mm. your own thinking in some mm. way so uh, this is something that doesn't i mean i can talk about it theoretically but when mm. you actually do things in practice in your uh, in your uh, in your project or in your class or whatever that is when actually uh, it hits you that oh this is so hard uh, so i think uh, so talking about skills articulating how one can do something better is very important but actually the best way to do to actually learn that is to do it mm-hmm. and uh, i think uh, a very important role as a as a design teacher you have is to uh, give feedback about uh, what somebody may be doing and so therefore that one on one connect with every student in the class and then giving feedback about you know this is something that you can no matter how how often you hear oh this is how you should do this this is yes. always how you should once when it goes when it comes down to doing it you actually mess it up then you get feedback and then you learn yeah so yeah so that feedback becomes a very important component of learn do you have any particular techniques that you use in giving feedback do you just immediately go on and say you know see this i'm i'm looking at your glasses sitting on the table see these glasses that frame could be a little bit Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, different so, or do you do, how do you engage in those conversations do you have any particular approaches so in teach in terms of teaching what i do is i try to create situations uh, where feedback is necessary mm-hmm. uh, i try to give uh, feedback early rather than late mm-hmm. uh, and i try to uh, uh, i try to set it up saying that this is going to be a feedback session so be ready to be critiqued so mm-hmm. just as an example Uh, so uh, on the very first day that i teach people how to do interviews uh, i haven't probably gone through about half of my material yet about just how to conduct an interview when i send out a couple of volunteers from the class to go and conduct an interview in the afternoon in the lunch break and come back okay so and they come back and uh, then we say okay so these are the things that we learned in the morning and now they're going to narrate the interview we're going to interrupt them every 2 minutes and then we're going to say so which were the good things which was where the opportunities that sort of were missed mm. and and whatever and then we set set that up saying that so it's like a safe place where you can critique and mm-hmm. get criticized mm-hmm. and you, whatever so so yeah and i generally don't so i give feedback early in the process where people are still learning and there is a lot of feedback to give and then a little later uh, i don't really give much feedback we really mainly then talk about the quality of work and you know or yes. the quantity of work and stuff like yeah. that but not or you know just more ideas yeah. or things like that but so it, that's very much taking the approach of asking those triggering questions that prompt their own reflection yeah. rather yeah. than you jumping in as the expert and saying you know yeah, you interrupted yeah. 10 times there or yeah, whatever yeah 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 what size classes are you teaching because you said you do one on one i do a lot of one on one uh so i usually the smallest are very small about 15 12 to 15 mm. people and the largest are not very large is about 50 55 students okay i just had a vision in iit bombay knowing having been there and seeing the size of so the campus of having hundreds and i was just thinking hey no no so that's yeah. one of the actually that's the interesting challenge and you know, how do you teach design in a large class situation yeah. like you know in fact this is a ongoing design challenge and uh so the most important learning point in design is when you get the feedback in a large class how do you give feedback beyond mm, what is humanly yeah. not do possible do you do 
would you use peer feedback or have you ever tried that? We, uh, so we do have, uh, so not me, but some of the colleagues in mm. IIT Bombay are trying uh, with peer feedback. But uh, it's not an idea that I like much. Mm. Uh, Why? I'm just curious. Uh, so that's because, so if, if particularly if a lot of peers are in the same boat as you are in, in, I don't know how it's, as a teacher, I'm not comfortable with that idea about, about the class. What I don't mind is if we can involve maybe uh, second year students to give first year students mm. feedback or if we can find other models where mm. we can involve. I mean, we are a fairly small design school. We are about 24 faculty members now and so with, even with all 24 faculty members actively participating, we couldn't possibly yeah. run a class of 1,000, which yeah. is what we want to do. Yeah. But, and you're pointing to the importance of being able to help people do that reflection, but from a position of a little bit more experience yeah, and expertise yeah, than yeah. them so that you can, they can actually get value from it. Yeah. And also there is a, uh, there is a distance. So within the peers who are, mm. who just attended the same lecture, there's not that distance that mm. separates you from mm. this class, you know, so you're not looking at it as an outside mm. person. Mm. And the distance helps you in being, you know, uh, being a little bit more balanced about what you say and pointing out things. I have some colleagues in my group who are teaching a very large class and trying to do some more open design-oriented stuff and struggle with similar sorts of challenges Mm -hmm. in how to do that. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, But I've seen some very interesting models where uh, PhD students are used to teach, Mm. uh, which is, I think, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've stayed on at IIT Bombay after PhD. Well, actually, did I did my PhD during my uh, while I was also was, working. Right, on the side, but so. but stayed working there, or yeah, have you worked working. in other places? So or? I did part time, what is called part time PhD. Mm. So I, in fact, started my PhD in two thousand and five. Yeah, uh, about seven years after I became a faculty member, and then at one time I was teaching three courses. And attending three courses in my first year. <laughs> so that was the craziest year, I think. That must have been a busy year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, so, and then I, uh, because, and then I was teaching three courses in design. I was teaching one course in computer science. And then I was attending three courses in computer science because <laughs> I was a computer science student. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I thought I now I would think it's very hard to do, but at that time I didn't think it was so hard. So there's something about going in being a bit naive about how hard it could be. Yeah, because so. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the second time someone said that to me in conversation at this conference uh-huh. about uh, if I had have known how hard it was going yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah same as yeah. like but, running the Kai conference, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. But you do it and you survive, yeah, and you survive. you actually learn a lot in doing oh, yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, you're, you've, I'm interested in working in India and the relationship in trying to engage with the broader HCI research, human computer interaction research community. Mm. Um, and what are the, you know, the opportunities and challenges around that? Yeah. So, uh, actually, I, uh, when I, s- I started teaching in IIT Bombay. First, my first thing thought used to be that okay, these are my students. I need to teach them. This is my class, fifteen people. And then I uh, was once asked by somebody that why don't you also? This seems interesting. So why don't you teach it for the people in the industry also? So I started t- conducting courses for the industry people, and somehow that became very popular as a course over a period of time. I have been teaching that now since year 2000, so about 19 years, long time. Uh, and uh, uh, it suddenly became very popular as a course. Uh, and then I said, why is it so, I mean, I was thinking, why the hell are these people coming to learn this stuff? Which is, I mean, I at that time, at least I used to think that I just read a few books. And uh, so then I realized that actually it's more about feedback. So I actually started making my courses even more where there's a lot more opportunity to uh, get feedback and then reinforce your learning and things mm-hmm. like that. And it was also a little bit about the community effect that it had because if like not 25 people from the industry, from different companies come together and spend a week or two weeks in the educational campus, this group stayed on after the... Interesting. Yeah, and they kind of 
collaborated with each other in some so way. So they stayed in contact uh, yeah. off their own initiative. Yeah, off their own. So, you know, and as I said, everybody in the industry almost changes job after every two years. And mm. so now they know who else is there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they probably have been swapping companies yeah, exactly. amongst their cohorts. So there's a lot of that that has been, that started happening. Uh, and then we formed a mailing list on, on Yahoo. And then we created a group of people who sort of uh, went on and, uh, nowadays, of course, mailing lists are not so they are mm. passe. But in those days, there used to be fairly active discussion mm. uh, that uh, used to happen. And even now, that Yahoo mailing list exists with about 2,700 people on it. And I don't know what 2,700 people are doing on mailing lists these days when uh, we don't really have that much discussion happening on mailing. A lot of it has shifted to other platforms. Uh, but this is still there. Uh, and then we said, and then I uh, uh, met a few colleagues internationally. Uh, and how did you meet them? Uh, how did I meet them? I, I don't remember, actually. <laughs> so I met Andy Smith uh, from the UK. Uh, uh, and he um, was at that time looking for some partners in HCI. And he had a European Union project uh, to help uh, grow European and in Indian, I mean, collaboration between mm -hmm. European and Indian researchers. And so uh, that's how I met Jan Gullikson. I met uh, a couple of Stephen Brewster, um, one or two other people at that time. Yeah, so that was the, this was in 2002 or 2001 or something like that. Before your PhD as well. well way before my mm. PhD. And, Were uh, you publishing at this stage at all? No, my first paper, my first Kai was 2004 in Vienna. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was my first exposure to an international conference. But that was also the year when I was the general chair of the first India HCI conference alongside mm -hmm. Andy Smith. And so this is what has always happened. I mean, I actually, if I remember right, we had already done the India HCI conference when I went to CHI. <laughs> so I never went to a conference before. We had organized smaller seminars and events in Idaho Bombay, of course, but not to a, a large uh, peer-reviewed conference mm -hmm. before I actually had organized my own. <laughs> <laughs> so it's absolutely weird. But that's how it is. That's your learning model, exactly. though, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, so that's right. my learning model. So having yeah. done that, then I went and looked at Kai. Oh, this looks very interesting. This is like going and reading the books then. Again, yeah. yeah. And then I started, I thought this was interesting. And then uh, uh, then I got on to the TC13 and I went to the Interact conference only in 2007, actually. And then I thought this was something that, and by this time I was already doing my PhD and I was really interested in the research, but I was still trying to understand how should we do this? How should I do this as myself? And then how yes. should we do this as a country and yeah. how to grow this uh, in the country as a whole? Mm. And that is where I started looking for opportunities and models. And I thought that conferences was a good idea. And so having done that one conference in, off in 2004, we had not done anything much. Did India HCI exist before, already exist? No, so, just Did, so this was the kickoff of India yeah, HCI. 2004 was the one that Andy and I organized okay. first. And then 2010 onwards, we got our act together again, and then we started doing an annual one. Mm. And then we've been doing that since mm. then. Uh, yeah, so I kind of have been looking at it as a community development yeah. work, uh, yeah. organizing. and Because the thing, it, it is clear even now, although things are much better now than they were even 10 years ago, uh, where people couldn't just afford to go to a conference. I mean, I went to Kai, I thought, this is so expensive for the yes. first time. Yes, well, that's what I was wondering as well, because it's one of my questions around how do we have properly inclusive conferences yeah. when the costs are prohibitive for many people? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I think we have to have multiplicity of conferences. I mean... I, uh, there was this recent exercise of what, how do you look at Kai 2030? Mm. Uh, so, uh, I mean, Kai has been growing and that's fabulous, but I think uh, it's growing itself uh, out of smaller venues mm. very fast mm. also. And uh, I don't know if we necessarily need to have only this one big conference yeah. each year or... Yeah. We could have smaller local conferences and and also maybe a one-big conference. Mm. So maybe we need to actually look at both possibilities. So what do you think India HCI does now as an annual conference towards <coughs> that community development? So first of all, it, it provides a local platform for yeah. people to uh, 
uh, you know, just find out about conferences. I mean, they don't want to do like what I did, right? I mean, be a general chair of a conference and then find out what a conference is. So, uh, so it, it gives an opportunity for students to go and see what this is and uh, it gives opportunity to maybe the uh, younger PhD students who are just starting out publish their first paper maybe. Uh, it gives them uh, the, the maybe the, the fourth year or the f- just recently passed out PhD students the opportunity to review their first papers and be part of the process. Uh, and so it gives, so everybody who's doing something at India, I'd say is probably almost doing it for the first time. Yeah. Not everybody, but yeah. a large majority of people. So it's a good mentoring opportunity. It is. And it, it, it is a good self. It's also a good opportunity to mess up things, which we've always done. But in fun. a safe way. Yes. It, it's, yeah. So it is safe enough. Um, yeah. But so it's, it's nice. Uh, I think it, it gives, uh, so it, and it also is a platform for anybody else to do anything that they would like to do. One thing that happens uniquely in India, which I haven't seen in any of the international conferences, is we, we hardly get, uh, so this year we got a large number of papers. We got 52 submissions and we are accepting 15 or something like that. Okay, so, so wow. that's, that's a large number yeah. for India, it's yeah. But we always get 250 participants. That's lovely. So, so the, the proportion of submitters to participants is like completely different from what you would expect at an interactor at a time. So that says something similar to what happened with the industry class that you're teaching, yeah. where people sort of kept in touch. There's people are voting with their feet yeah. in saying we want to connect. Yeah, yeah. So there is a lot of networking. Yeah. There's also so, so I mean, people say that industry uh, folks are not really interested in research. By and large, that's true. But that doesn't mean they're not at all interested in in the topic. Or, yes. So they want to keep in touch with the what's going on in the world. And this gives them an opportunity to look yeah. at that. Uh, I think also what happens is uh, maybe uh, there are, I think I'm just borrowing words from Paula's talk yesterday. Uh, so there are... This is Paula Kutze. Paula Kutze, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... There are, so she said there are business people and there are, uh, what was it? Uh, administrative, not administrative. Oh, yeah. The yellow people. Yeah, she, I, she had the, 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 the technology, the business and the executive. executive I like the differentiation between business and executive yes. there, actually. It's yes. interesting. So similarly, so there are. And then there were the hybrids of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So similarly, there are sort of intellectually inclined sort of these academically inclined people, and then there are these uh, sort of doing-oriented mm. people. And I think the proportion of that is more or less same everywhere in the world, uh, except that in some communities, like in India, for example, the number of people in the industry is huge. My estimate is around 30,000, 40,000 mm. people in India are somehow doing some stuff in UI, UX wow. kind of work. And so... so, so our, so the and there is a lot of uh, those had they been in another context where there's a lot of opportunity to do academic work might be doing academic work mm-hmm. just that they don't have the opportunity or they didn't it was never they never considered to grow into this or whatever so that's by happenstance but they are interested in this they feel uh, they are interested in looking at some challenging work that is being done and so on and also, I think, uh, and that's why in India, and when we, when we ran Interact in 2017, we also had a lot of focus on uh, courses. Uh, and in India, also courses are very popular. So people want to go and learn things at a conference, meet people, learn things, and just peek at what's going on. Mm. So that's roughly mm. the thought process with yeah. which they come. Yeah. So you said before about uh, you've been really trying to think about how you do all this stuff you know, yourself yeah, yeah. and as a country. I mean, so yeah. what's your answer for yourself first? What, what's your, or how are you starting to answer that if it's still ongoing? Yeah, it, it certainly is ongoing. Uh, so I think I have learned to be a self-taught person more or less uh, all my life and I continue to be thankfully self-taught and I, and I hope to pass on that first to my kids, you know. That there's, you don't learn everything. You have to learn things by yourself. Uh, so I and I, uh, so I think that's what also keeps me 
on my toes and mm-hmm. active because otherwise i think i just saturated if i mm-hmm. knew everything yeah. so i'm happy in uh, uh, happy to be always in the position where i feel that i don't know enough about this and i still oh, can nice. yeah. survive i mean yeah. yeah i don't know so i can find out maybe yeah. if it's important yeah so that points to a few things like so a love of learning yeah, um yeah. being comfortable with not knowing yeah yeah that that's okay yeah, and asking stupid questions and asking stupid <laughs> questions and there's no such thing as a stupid question someone would say yeah. and and knowing that you know how to go and find out yeah. and learn yourself yeah yeah and uh, also a few other things like initiative i mean i think i've always managed to take initiative of mm. uh, i mean having that meta thought like what is it that i'm missing here and what should i be doing next mm. and constantly asking myself uh, to do that so i've uh, so for example i uh started out doing a lot of qualitative work mm-hmm. uh you know contextual inquiry and grounded theory and things like that and then for my phd uh i had to do quant stuff and i never touched it ever in my life and as i said i never done a research methods course so i went and started reading about it and i got into a very very difficult to use uh method this called i don't know if you know about principal component analysis it's, yes it's quite tough to follow yes and i i enjoyed reading about it and I, i thought this is what i need then one day i i went and talked to my supervisor after about a month of reading and he said yeah but you don't need all of this you just need regression and then <laughs> what i had not read about regression before i read principal component analysis what am i doing so these are challenges when you are self taught i mean mm. if you don't know what what you should be mm. uh, looking at in the first place so uh yeah but by because i have managed to do that though uh I tend to read books from sort of the middle of the middle of the book the middle of the book <laughs> because I usually don't have much patience to kind of I usually know things that matter are in the middle of the book not in the beginning mm-hmm. very often mm-hmm. so I learned quant like that and now I'm kind of going back to the first few pages and you know I'm reading a very nice book called the book of why I don't know if you've heard of it on causality it's a very uh it's very difficult to read book again one of those really hard to read book uh but i thought uh i should understand this idea of causality very nicely if i have to teach research methods and hopefully it will influence my teaching mm. in future it might not mm. but it might also so yeah i mean i don't i so, never started really with the first principles yeah. most often So that sounds like was that a serendipitous find that book because some of the other the other has sounded like it's been more targeted I yeah. I need to find out about X so let, let's go f- do some research okay. was the book of why and needing yeah. to know about causality similar or was it just more you happened to come across it and thought oh it could be useful I'm thinking you're contextualizing this now <laughs> so yes it is, actually it is not completely serendipitous uh and there is this korean researcher young young person i don't know if you know him His name is byung julie he was uh, i was in sussex last year mm-hmm. uh, spending a few months and uh, he was there at the same time and he gave a talk and in, i i was very impressed with his talk i like really liked his work and uh, then he mentioned this book and he said it was difficult to read also mm-hmm. so if it is difficult to read for him then it's probably going to be difficult for me also so i think i should go and read that book That's interesting <laughs> that you take it as a positive challenge yes, rather than oh daunting can't not going to do it. No. No, I I so I thought that yeah I mean this is the notion of particularly now with uh, so much work on mm. I mean the discussion there was in the context of all the AI and uh, correlational data based data sciences. So uh, one of the critiques in this book is that a lot of this is just looking at the first rung of causality which is correlation. and then the other two rungs are one is interventional like you and i i interpret it as a designer as design and see what happens mm. kind of thing mm-hmm. okay so interventional and the second is uh the third rung is counterfactual like you imagine you know what if you know what if we run out of water mm-hmm. or what if mm-hmm. you know the temperature rises by 5 degrees mm-hmm. or whatever so you know so where there is no data at all i mean this is counterfactual and then we are still able to reason it out and so we need causality we need to understand cause and effect about mm-hmm. that very powerful arguments uh and i think very relevant in the current context of ai and machine learning yes. and stuff yeah 
So just in the way that you responded to the that that wave of the web appearing and yeah. all of those opportunities, again, this is this sort of wave and yeah, responding it to it by yeah. what yeah. what other skills do I need to learn or how do I find out about yeah. this? I think so, yeah. and and I think just going and meeting the smart people yeah. who are thinking about it and yeah. just learning from them. I've always looked for who should I learn this from. So I've, in a sense, it is serendipity when you sometimes yeah. come across, but you have to yeah. look for those sources really, mm-hmm. and uh, because yeah, I mean, I think you have to just pick that. I ha- that's what I've been doing. I suppose mm. yeah. I have no other way of doing. Yeah, and what. So you said, you know, and work out how we do this as a country. So, mm. uh, because so much of, I think, a lot of our standard textbooks, a lot of our methods, a lot of what we think is given knowledge mm. is actually very culturally situated mm. in Western mm. contexts mm. and often Northern Hemisphere Western mm. contexts mm. in mm. the developed world. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you starting to answer that in terms of yeah. India? And how yeah, so actually, yeah, that's a brilliant question. And there are many parts, many answers to that. So one is, uh, so uh, historically our design school has done this. So as, as I said, it was founded by mm-hmm. a Ulmer, a Ulm school graduate. Uh, and so it has a very strong Western uh, design tradition in it. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of uh, responsiveness to the problems that you see around you and also a lot of uh, response to the to the cultural heritage that we kind of bring. So uh, I, I had a design teacher and then later on a colleague till fairly recently, uh, Professor Kirti Trivedi, he used to teach a course called Indian Design Tradition. So he used to sort of start with the traditional aspects of design and then bring that into modern context and then analyzing that. And so the, our uh, language and so there are people working in language and typography and art. So art people are actually very strongly rooted usually mm-hmm. I mean, in their respective cultures because mm-hmm. they respond to what happens around them. And design is close enough to art in that sense. And so that has helped us uh, partly. Uh, the other side of it is that, uh, as I showed in the talk this morning, the the technologies are penetrating our societies all over the world fairly rapidly. So that has made many new opportunities available. And it is sort of interesting that uh, we are able to, I mean, uh, as, a, as a community, respond to those opportunities. Mm. But, how, but I think there is another part to this uh, issue of you know how do we, how do we do this as a country and i think one of the challenges that uh, i felt when i started teaching about 20 years ago is uh, pe- while people are good they are still not able i mean i have taught a lot of design students and i've seen my own uh, batchmates and colleagues as designers uh, so they are all very bright people and very uh, interesting people but they really, I don't think that many of them, or we have taken as a country, a leadership role in design. And I, so I think one of the reasons is that uh, we have really not contributed back to the development of the field itself. I mean, we need to uh, do that. And so we did not really have a very strong research model in design uh, until we started learning from HCI. So I, mm-hmm. I would put it this way. And HCI, because it, it drew in people from multiple disciplines, including design, uh, at least a lot of learning in design research uh, in modern in the last 20 years, I would say, has borrowed a lot from HCI methods. And it actually, HCI brings in ethnography, it brings in all the quant mm. stuff, it brings in all kinds of mm. people. So mm. I think it's broad enough and that's helped. And that's helped design also. And what you talked about this morning, because mm. in talking about emergent users, the numbers were quite um, astounding for for someone. I found them quite astounding coming from a different context, mm. just the level of you know, illiteracy. And mm. you know, I know that the ownership of devices was increasing mm-hmm. in the curve that you showed. Mm-hmm. And I was also really impressed by the creativity and innovation in the approaches that you and your students were taking, mm-hmm. which yeah. seemed to be really novel compared to what a, a lot of other work that we see. 
So is that something also particular? Like is being in this context opening up different ways of thinking or different approaches to design or different solutions? Yeah, so I think I think people are very creative everywhere uh, in general and uh, our design schools, so design schools in India particularly tend to attract a lot of creative people. I mean, all the creative juices mm. squeeze through the design schools in a sense. So there's a lot of competition to get in and uh, so creativity is sort of given fairly easily. The question is, does it get channelized? Does it get... Uh, do you, uh, I was just talking to some people earlier. So how do people learn to, how do people learn to, uh, do the, uh, so I mean, one thing that I learned doing text input work, mo- the most of all perhaps, is that, you know, you, you think of a cool idea, you prototype it and it fails miserably. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so text input of any, any field in interaction design, it's yeah, text input makes you the most humble. you can never predict what will happen and you can never I mean it looks nice on paper it looks nice as a concept and it just doesn't work in practice and then you think of something else that is stopping it from working so uh, yeah so there is a lot of creativity but it needs to be backed up with uh, rigorous evaluations and assessments and other you know, critical mm. uh, approaches, mm. which I think uh, are relatively less amongst this. I mean, design rewards creativity and appreciates present good presentations and so on. Uh, it also should probably bring in, and in some places it does. And being in a being surrounded by technologies, it helps. You know, because it's part of the, their culture, anyways, uh, to to bring some of that in. So, do you publish? I mean, is there, and is there pressure from IIT to publish? Uh, I would say we are very lucky to be in IIT because uh, uh, the IITs. Uh, so, yeah, they encourage publishing, and uh, the IITs. Although India is as a whole a developing country, still uh, IITs in general have been uh, pampered in some sense uh, because uh, the expectation is that these will trigger some sort of effect on the whole country or some breakthroughs might happen here. Uh, so we are reasonably well funded, not as well funded perhaps as a Western university uh, in terms of, so actually the most expensive bits for us are international travel. And yeah, uh, yeah so those those probably are still, more, but we are still reasonably well supported there. We can probably do, um, I, we can usually do one and sometimes you can do two conferences a year, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, international, which is good. Mm. Uh, and that was the other reason to bring in, to start India HCI, because we wanted a domestic travel yes, conference. Yes, to make it more accessible yeah, yeah, just absolutely. practically. Practically. I mean, yeah. it's usually about one-tenth or one-eighth the cost yeah. to just go to a local yeah. conference. And I went to India HCI last year, and it was an amazing conference yeah. and such impressive work and such energetic, engaged yeah. um, students who had such broad backgrounds yeah, and could yeah. talk from all sorts of different depths of expertise and knowledge. It's an amazing group to work with. Yeah, yeah. So is there anything else about the, you know, just because you do participate a lot more internationally, is Mm -hmm. there anything else that you see that's uh, particular to the Indian context? So we just have some people coming into the room. They don't realise this is our private interview. (laughs) (laughs) They think it's a bar. (laughs) <laughs> so there may be a little bit of no- background noise, but we can't do anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's. Uh, uh, I think we have a lot to learn from the international community, and we also have a lot to give to the international. I was just going. That was going to be my next question. What can we learn from you? Yeah. So uh, I think uh, one of the things, you know, so I, I mean, people talk about emerging markets and developing countries and stuff like that, but I think I find. Uh, most countries to be in some way unique and, you know, uniquely positioned in some senses. So, uh, I mean, I would have never imagined that five years ago, you know, or actually if you, if you look at our telecom sector, I have no idea why we have the highest mobile penetration rates or highest data consumption rates in the world per capita. Mm. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's per capita. It's not even because of our population. And what is it that we have done to make this possible. I mean, I, we were doing some work in South Africa and data crates there are extremely expensive over there. And now, 
So, I mean, India and South, Af- South Africa actually is in many ways richer than India in terms of per capita income. Uh, but people still think a lot about, you know, using data on their phones mm. and so on. Mm. And in India, like, people have data to waste. I mean, it's like mm. cheaper than water. So, it's <laughs> just a different way of, and it, it impacts the society in a very different way. I mean, I would have never thought my parents would be predominant data consumers, which they are now. So, they are, I mean, they're watching TV or whatever. I mean, they're watching, my dad's, you know, dad gets one GB of data a day. I thought he'd never understand what that means mm-hmm. a few, few yes. years ago. But now, at about 10 p.m., he starts watching TV on phone. So he says, I have to consume my one GB of data. So he goes on till midnight. and then Just to use it up. <laughs> well, he watches. He used to watch TV and he says, this is better because I don't disturb anybody. It's just ah. going in my headphones. And, you know, I... I I can, and he could go to sleep with that, you know, and can keep running on the background. Yeah. And he's amazing. I mean, it's, yeah. I would have never imagined he would do something like that. Mm. So it changes society in very unique ways. And, uh, uh, so, and all of these other factors that aren't directly to do with the technology per se, but the, the yeah, other the societal, societal. Yeah. There are many societal factors which actually, so, I mean, societies are uniquely different anyways. And, uh, so I think we can learn a lot from understanding what could happen if X happened, basically. So this just gives us a lot of that mm. variety mm. to understand. Uh, yeah, and I think there are many other things that uh, probably uh, I I get amazed with the amount of plastic that we use, for example, when I whenever I travel, or uh, and maybe uh, uh, we can learn how to be frugal from India. I think yeah. we are very frugal in our approaches sometimes it comes across as this guy's just trying to save two dollars and whatever but you know so sometimes uh, it's i mean uh, at least i get surprised at the amount of wastage that i see or just uh, uh, just how uh, to me sometimes i mean i participate in international meetings sometimes it seems that we are not putting i mean we have to prioritize things here i mean what are we talking about so the priorities seem different mm. to different people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a matter of mm-hmm. what you've seen in your experience. Yes. And how you prioritize yes. things. Yes. Yeah. What do you see are the big challenges going forward for you personally? Oh, personally. Uh, yeah, so I actually, uh, so now I, I, I just came back from a sabbatical. And the reason why I went on a sabbatical was... I said, okay, I've been doing this now for about 10 years. I learned about research. I started organizing conferences. We're doing this nicely and so on. Now I have, I'm 52 years old and I probably have another uh, 10, 12, 13 years of, uh, so we retire at 65 officially yeah. and then we can continue a little bit. But so 12, 13 years left. Uh, so what, I, what, what would I want to do with the next few years? Uh, and I picked on a few themes that I think I want to be working in. Uh, and uh, so one of them is, for example, education. I mean, I've been showing the education numbers are the ones that are lagging in India, right? Uh, so education is something that I think uh, there is a lot of opportunity that I should we should be working on right now as a country. And that's something that I've always loved. I mean, my master's mm. topic, the first master's project was in education. I made educational film. So I, I really think there is a lot that we could achieve in that space and I don't, I think I mean all media including television, YouTube uh, interactive media in general haven't really lived up to the potential of achieving really good things in education. I don't mm-hmm. think we have, I mean there's Coursera there's MOOCs, there are, there's a lot of stuff out there but it's really still not out there. I mean it's not the way we want it to be or, or it's it has more potential than what we see basically. Yeah. So I think there is some opportunity there. So I, I hope we can do something. Yeah. I mean, that's the always thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting into this, but will I be able to do something? Yeah. And what's the difference you want to make? Like, what do you want to be different? Oh, we have cheers in the <laughs> So they're, they're happy with this new direction. Yeah. Um, but so what's the difference you want to make when, when you retire in 12, 13 years? What do you want to sit back and... So uh, I would like to have... Uh, made some difference, some real difference to uh, educational outcomes in the in in some way. So maybe uh, some new way of understanding 
how education can be scaled up or mm-hmm. higher quality education one of the things that actually i find very interesting uh, is you know i've whenever i well i've traveled in few countries uh, in the western developed world and i've been to schools in these countries just to see how schools go and one of the things that i find very amazing if you've been to a restaurant in india you will find a restaurant this size served by about 10 waiters maybe in 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 the developed part of the world probably i see one person or maybe two at the most yes yeah so and so we are but if you look at the number of teachers that are there in schools so uh, i don't know if you there you saw somebody mention this this is probably true then throughout the developing world uh, we have about 50 kids to a class and one teacher so that's the kind of ratio uh, so we probably need to invest more in teachers obviously but we would also look at you know what opportunities or tools are there that we can help the teacher uh, do better work mm. uh, with kids like you know optimize the life of a teacher so that mm. they are free to actually you know use their mental resources on less tedious day to day classroom thingies that might be an example of something uh, or it could just be a different way of engaging with learning uh, that we can find uh, than what has been possible so right now there is a lot of resources out there which helps people who are you know proactive and go out there and are use I mean, enjoy reading and learning and so on there are not that many for those kids who are a little couple of steps behind maybe these people mm. and in terms of literacy resources uh, or just I think, uh, performance i think it's just the, the okay uh, so i think they don't have what well, i think what is missing there is the ability to uh so some people are proactive in going and finding out information that they're missing and figuring out things and so on uh but i don't think everybody develops that ability or a lot of people are actually behind so how can we make it sticky basically how can we make it fun and still mm. uh achieve higher learning outcomes mm. and so on um and still make it very local very relevant yes so. yeah because you have the challenge of multiple languages also yes how uh, many languages in india oh don't get me started on oh. that so <laughs> there there are, uh, there are 2000 odd like self reported languages which were which were which sort of collapsed to about 100 plus 102 languages spoken by uh, 100000 people or more and uh, i think 43 languages spoken by a million people or more wow but officially there are 22 languages plus english uh, that india supports as and they are still 22 is still lot, yeah, a lot a of lot. Yeah. yeah but yeah but there are many more than yeah. the 22 that get officially supported yeah. yeah so that sounds like an exciting 12 13 years coming yeah, up yeah i don't think i'll finish yeah. finish all of that no. but even if i can get started and yeah. other people can also do some yeah. stuff and then maybe yeah you you said in the beginning talking about you know reflection is part of a design practice yeah, yeah. and you've also mentioned different things so you talked about yourself where you're constantly asking yourself something and you talked about then during your sabbatical you took time out to think about what you want to do mm-hmm. in this in this sort of next period mm-hmm. do you have any deliberate practices to support that reflection Yeah so firstly I took a sabbatical uh, secondly I went to uh, labs where, I mean I get, got out of home basically mm. got out of comfort mm-hmm. zone uh, I went to labs where I know good work happens mm-hmm. and just to see what because I think a lot of this uh, and I, this was actually reconfirmed good work happens from good people of course but a lot of it is just simple things you know and uh, but what are those simple things and how do they happen and you know things like having regular lab meetings having feedback sessions having uh, an atmosphere all of these things so actually i am trying to build that culture back in our lab i mean we had really many very interesting people but most of them worked independently of each other uh, so one of the big take away one of the big changes that i'm trying to make is bring in this lab culture um, bringing in this collaboration and group meetings and so on the other thing that i realized is that uh 20 years ago when i had uh when i was having certain levels of responsibilities uh i had developed a certain teaching culture 
and then i have not updated it or not changed that or responded to the change that happened mm. you know now i my life has become a lot easier i travel once a month internationally once a month in within india huge amount of travel too much sure. so uh and so the amount of time that i'm giving my students is less and less as a result of this i mean not out of so what i've earlier used to do was first i used to chuck out all my teaching schedule then i used to chuck out all my travel schedule around that and then see if anything needs to adjust here then i would see you know where the where the other stuff is like in you know, the research projects and so on fit in and then i would say okay now the students can meet in in remaining time okay and now uh, i have started actually to the lab has a schedule and we meet as a lab and uh, and then of course we also do free time i mean other time but we actually have scheduled time where we do certain things and let us see if that because otherwise you know i don't want this residual time because although we have residual time and there may be a lot of residual yeah. time yeah. it's not as productive as scheduled time so simple i mean these are simple things i mean really not i mean i don't know why i couldn't figure it out on my own <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean it takes i think you yeah. just go and see such things yeah. others do yeah. such things and and if you are doing so much travel and it sounds like you know you mm-hmm. lab and the responsibilities and the engagement in the in the national community and international community how do you look after yourself in the middle of all this oh that's also another so that's the other thing that i did in my sabbatical yes uh so you know 52 so i started picking up weight and i have a lot of diabetes in the family so my doctor said i should, i need to lose weight so I said, yeah, but I don't have the energy and so on. So I tried two, three different diet plans. So I am right now on diet plan that gives me enough energy to exercise. So I actually exercise regularly. I'm going to mm-hmm. do that today evening also. Good. Okay. So just after the keynote, I said, I'm going to go out and jog. So I'm actually, I have also scheduled that in. And I actually, I mean, I bought I the Fitbit. I'm looking at the and, Fitbit on your yeah, wrist. And I, I, it was, I mean, I just bought it a year ago when I went to the sabbatical and and uh, i i really never thought why do people track i mean they know they have been exercising you really don't need but doing that actually you know the the delta changes are actually the ones that motivate you so i used to do about i mean just to give you very specifically i, I used to do about 5.2 kilometers in 45 minutes that used to be my routine in, when i started a year ago now i'm doing 6.5 great okay so Yeah I mean I if I get around 8 or 9 I'm happy but yeah. so and I'm I've never been a runner I've now started running for the last one year Yeah so uh and I, I surprisingly lost weight I mean I, I I've done this a few times before to know that it doesn't really you stick You have to keep working I yeah, yes. so yeah, yeah but I could actually do yeah. it so that's also good yeah. So this sabbatical sounds like it's been really important just for having yeah. the time out as yeah. you said of your comfort zone to yeah. do these reflections on multiple aspects of your life. Yeah. 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 That's brilliant. I learned I got back to cooking. That's the other thing I lost because <laughs> so you know in India we always have help. So uh but but we didn't really have help until I, well I when I was alone of course there was no help and we got married we also didn't have much help. Then we got the kids and then we got help. <laughs> and then when we got the kids then it's been like 21 years that we have had help. So I said that this is not I'm going to get back to cooking. Great. Right. So I got back to cooking also. I look forward to uh having I'm not a great cook. Uh, I'm not a great cook, uh, but I I make breakfast every day. So that's the routine stuff, but yeah. but uh yeah, so I think yeah. that's that's useful. Hmm. So just you know, it gets me thinking things that I I actually also started using some of these things to stop the you know, brain doesn't stop thinking. That's one of the problems. And you need to let the brain stop thinking but it just doesn't i mean it's on autopilot so but when i'm cooking i'm thinking about cooking and when i'm pushing myself to do the extra 100 meters you know you can't think of the brain can't just wander off thinking about other things at that time yeah. you have to yeah. focus yeah and that's useful because it's and you're also mindful. focusing on something yeah, yeah doing mindful cooking and mindful, mindful running mindful running yeah yeah i mean you have to do mindful cooking when you're not good right so <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um I we should be wrapping up I yeah, guess. Sure. Um are there any things that we haven't talked about that you'd want to just talk about? Not really. You got me talking. I was thinking what is it Geraldine is going to ask me. <laughs> and uh I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> what am I going to ask him? And uh yeah, so no, I think it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
So I just, um, I will put links on the webpage, on the podcast webpage, okay. to the talk that you gave this okay, morning, because yeah, sure, yeah. there'll be a video made of that in the oh, slides. Because yeah, yeah. um, I think. But the slides that, are open anyway. The slides are open, yes, yeah, so yeah. I'll definitely, when I hear about the video, I'll put that up. Mm -hmm. Because I think people might be very interested in hearing that, because it, oh, yeah, yeah. it was lovely work talked about there. But I just want to say that, um, point to another thing that you said in your talk that wasn't to do with the content, but you were incredibly generous in acknowledging all the people who worked with you and whose work you were talking about. Yes. And you would obviously work with them. Yes. But I was really impressed with the way you foregrounded them with photo and name and really sort of saying this is their work. And I just want to compliment you on that. Oh, thank you. Um, and say, so, you know, I think okay. that also points to something about the quality of person and quality of culture that you're building in the lab. Oh, thank you. And the relationships that you have there. So thank you for taking the time oh, to to chat when you could be out swimming. Oh, I'm not a swimmer. Oh, <laughs> I'm a we're out running. <laughs> well, I'm not in the evening. Thank you. Uh, thank okay. you very much for having me here. And it's really uh, wonderful that you're doing the series. I didn't know about it. I have known you for so long. So I will now go and read up all the other stuff that others are talking about. Good. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. You get people talking. You're a nice... Oh, nice do I pass as an interview? Yeah, <laughs> interview. Yeah, it's very nice. <laughs> so you let people talk and do their own thing, and then you you catch them, and then you generalize, and then you get the get them back. Very nice. I love it. <laughs> that that's interesting feedback and reflection. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks very much, Enrida. Thank you very much. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www changingacademiclife.com You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher and you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter and if something connected with you please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently